may be boring, but his guests aren't. It's Al's Boring Podcast. Oh, hi there. Al Dukes here, and my guest today on the podcast is Spiro Didis. Hi there, Spiro. Hi, Al. Good to be with you. What's going on? So I think I uh, I used to work with a guy uh, when I first started at WNEW in New York that that you uh, went to school with, a Chris Rosen. Wow, yeah, that's a blast from the past. Yeah, and Chris I was a uh, part of the uh, Tony Reale crew. Yes, I thought you guys were all roommates, and I had always <laughs> we had always teased him. Uh, well, later on we had teased him that uh, we thought you the three of you guys were roommates, and we said, well, Tony Reality is making a uh, a name for himself, and uh, Spiro's got these great jobs, and uh, he was at WNEW. Now he's moved on. He works over at uh, Entertainment Weekly now. Chris, uh, yeah, I get my uh, my news on Chris from uh, from Tony, and uh, Tony says he's doing great. And, you know, we, we basically could have been roommates. We spent so much time together back in the day. Now, that was at, but, uh, uh, you in, know, it's, at, at it's Fordham. Nice to hear those names because it kind of takes you back. So yeah, pretty cool. you guys went to college at Fordham together. Yeah, we went to Fordham at Rose Hill. Um, those guys were a year ahead of me, uh, so they finished in uh, in 2000. I, I graduated in two in 01, which was uh, a minor miracle in and of itself that I actually got a degree from that place. And where did you grow up as a kid? I grew up in Paramus, New Jersey, uh, Bergen County, North Jersey, um, probably about 35, 40 minutes outside of, of the city. Uh, great place to grow up, you know, typical Jersey suburbs, safe place. Uh, good families, you know. It was uh, was a really it was a really nice childhood, and um, you know the close proximity to New York as a sports fan growing up was was just incredible. You know, so many teams in the area to go check out and, and root for and keep tabs on. So it was uh, it was it was just it was great all around if you were a kid in that area. So did you want to get into media, or did you love the sports angle first, and then kind of the radio TV part of that second? You know, it, it, I I caught the bug of broadcasting really young. You know, it was really weird. People have asked me this question so many times over the years. And for me, it's really goes back to, I think I was like 13 or 14 years old, um, watching games. I I used to watch every Knicks game, uh, every Giants game, every uh, Yankees game, literally every game that was on TV. And at some point I could just remember stopping paying attention to the game itself at times and just kind of becoming mesmerized and infatuated with the announcers, what the announcers were saying, how they would call the game, you know, their energy and inflection. You know, Marv was such a captivating guy to listen to because he sounded so different from most of the other guys who were on TV and on the radio. And I I could just remember telling my parents at some point that that's what I wanted to do. Um, You know, my father kind of thought I was nuts. My mother being the loving parent and the supporting parent, you know, kind of said, that's great. And that's that's something you should pursue when you get older. And that's kind of where it started for me. And as the years went on, uh, and I realized that this really was something that you can go to college for and and work your future towards, it really was something that became kind of my singular purpose, I guess, at that stage. Now, what type of voice did you have when you were like 13 and thinking you could do this? Oh, my God, just high-pitched, scratchy. Uh, it was pretty awful, and it stayed pretty awful even through the first couple of jobs I got after I got out of school, and, and was lucky enough to uh, to get hired to do some stuff. Yeah, why do you think? Like, did you, did people say to you when you were a kid, like, well, you really need like a deep voice announcer guy voice? You know, I didn't really get the feedback on it until I got to college, and you know, I, I'm not kidding. I'll listen to tapes now of 
I was at Fordham, um, and even the first couple of years out of school when I was getting some some pretty decent jobs. And I'm, you know, while I'm appreciative that that some of the employers and, and the network guys gave me those gigs, and eternally grateful, um, it's it's like listening to fingernails on a chalkboard. You know, I, I also equated to you know, going through pictures and looking at yourself when you're going through puberty. Right. You know, it's, it's really tough to listen to sometimes, but, you know, it's all part of kind of your, your maturity, not only as a person, but, your, you know, the sound of your voice and how you're going to sound and your style and, and the things you kind of figure out when you're a young announcer. And then the guys that you were looking up to when you were a kid and listening to, a lot of those guys, everyone seems to go to Syracuse. Were you looking that way because those guys went there, or how did you end up at Fordham instead of Syracuse? Yeah, for me, it basically came down to those two. It came down to Syracuse and Fordham. Syracuse, you know, all I knew about it was that it was up in the middle of nowhere and that a, a ton of the, the big-name guys had come out of there, obviously Marv and, and Costas and, and so many others. Uh, Mike Tirico, who I was not as familiar with at that you know early stage um, of my life, but I knew that Syracuse was kind of the gold standard. Uh, then when I got down to thinking about it, you know, people started mentioning Fordham. And, and how successful their broadcast program had been. And the close proximity to home for me was kind of the end, um, how I made the decision, you know, to be able to be a, a quick car ride from, from my parents and my siblings and, and the rest of my family in North Jersey. Um, and also the access that they had to all the pro teams in New York. You know, they had credentials to go cover the the Knicks, you know, after school to go cover the Nets or the Yankees. Um, and it just had kind of a little bit more appeal to me. And in the end, it was one of the uh, one of the better decisions I've made. And then when you get to Fordham, I would imagine the, the program there is competitive as well. So how do you get to be a guy that could get those credentials? That even though the school has those credentials, why wouldn't everybody in that program want to do that sort of thing? So how do you start to separate yourself in college? Yeah, you know, it, it, it was kind of a casual thing. You know, it was it's definitely grown the program since I've left um, uh, in, in about 10 or 13 years it's been since I've been there. Um, you know, now they've built a TV studio. Uh, it's a little bit more organized and competitive. But when we were there, it was just kind of first come, first serve, to be honest with you, as far as those credentials. And I could remember that first week I was on campus as a freshman, um, the broadcast department sent out one of those mass voicemails kind of recruiting kids who were interested in in a future in broadcast radio uh, to come down to FUV, uh, the studios which were at Keating Hall and the third floor of a, of a building kind of right smack dab in the middle of campus. And I basically ran there <laughs> and I said, yes, this is this is what I want to do. I'm, I'm your guy. And I can remember doing a little demo tape for Bob Ahrens, who still is the guy in charge of running the uh, the sports department there with all the students. And, you know, he said, um, you know, we're going to give you some updates to do during the uh, college football games on, on the weekends. And that's kind of how it started. And then, you know, you, you let them know you're interested in going to cover the, the pro teams. And then that started. And just it was one little baby step at a time. And it was just, it was such a great process and just so many great resources that we had at our disposal there. Now, were you a standout student there, either in the classroom or doing these things on the air? No, no, I was as far from a standout student as you could possibly be. Um, you know, for me, I just, I was so, my attention was so focused on the broadcasting stuff and, you know, going to the radio station and doing the updates and prepping for that. 
that my classwork became secondary for me, unfortunately. And I, you know, probably shouldn't admit that, but, um, you know, it just kind of was one of those, one of those things. I, I basically got by with a, a C minus average, you know, um, I can remember at some point my sophomore year basically stopping to buy textbooks because I was using that money to, to get around the city and, you know, to do other things that I needed for my for my broadcast future. You know, I couldn't be bothered with, with academics at that point. Because to be honest with you, I also knew that when I graduated, you know, potential employers were not going to really care what my GPA was. They wanted to know what I sounded like and, and what I could do for them in broadcasting. So it was one of those little you know, corners that you cut and things you figure out when you're a student trying to uh, figure out your future. You're like a uh, like the football players. You're focusing on what you're doing on the field. Exactly. And exactly. and but you know, it's, it's it's one of those things you learn. So, did you yeah. feel like then the stuff you were doing at the radio station there? Did you feel like you were a standout there? Like compared I, I to the did. other students? No, I never did. I never did. You know, we we were all kind of in it together. You know, we would. It was great because once a week we would have a little workshop on Wednesday afternoons where we'd all gather in a classroom kind of outside the uh, the radio station. And uh, Marty Glickman would come in, you know, Marty, the, the great uh, all-time broadcaster who did games for the Jets and Giants and the Knicks and a number of other teams. And Marty would come in and work with all of us. And he basically treated all of us the same. You know, he would listen to our stuff and, you know, give us critiques. And we were all kind of a group learning the the tricks of the trade together and you know it was just uh it was great it really was oh was there anybody else in your class that whose name we would know now that they've gone on to uh do things in broadcasting well in our group like i said it was tony reale who's gone on to to do big time stuff with espn uh tony was a year ahead of me we also had Tom mcshane who has bounced around. He's done a lot of news, and uh, which frankly surprised me because Connell at that point was kind of the star of our group. A um, couple years ahead of me, you know, guy that I looked up to, and at some point he just decided that news was going to be his his chosen path, and he's uh, he's gone on to do really big things. You know, he's uh, been on MSNBC, and I watch him now. You know, given financial info on the news, and it's like who knew, man? He's just he's a really really intelligent guy, and. I'm really happy for him. Um, Andrew Bogish has done a, a bunch of stuff for Sirius Radio. He hosts shows. I'm sure you've seen him around there. Yes, uh, he's in the hallway. And, that's right. Um, great guy. Uh, Mike Yam, who uh, went to ESPN, did Sports Center for him for a number of years, and now he's uh, the face of the Pac-12 network out in San Francisco. So it's just like a really eclectic kind of group of, of really talented kids who came out of Fordham around that same time that I did. And when you're a student there, you start realizing the importance of doing internships. Where did how many did you do while you were a student? You know, I think I did like six internships. Really? I, I sat down at one point to try to figure it out. Um, but you know, the internships that I was doing, I, I there, there were a couple of them that I did that I didn't even tell the school about. You know, I kind of arranged it on my own. Um, and these were people that I was meeting during the time going to cover the teams, you know, going to cover the Knicks. I'd meet someone from WNBC, you know, the local NBC affiliate, of course, in New York. Um, and, and, you know, you're supposed to, when you do an internship, tell the school and you get credits for it in exchange for the time that you give them. A couple of those I did, but a couple of other ones I just kind of did casually, and, you know, was able to put it on my resume and, and kind of the way I went. So, Again, not not a a path or something I would recommend to students today to do, but um, 
it just it just kind of worked out that way. It was uh, it was interesting. Now you did an internship uh, at WFAN, yes. Yes. Yep. And were you a, a big fan of the station before you came here, or were you, or? Uh, I mean, I I would listen to the station religiously. I mean, late at night, you know, listening to Steve Summers, and I can remember walking in there for the first time, just being mesmerized by the whole place. You know, it was it seemed like this bigger than life place listening to it on the radio literally day and night and then finally walk into that place and to meet steve and so many of the other hosts even the update anchors i looked up to i mean i was just a a really weird kid i guess in that way so you know the first time to go on the air at fan to do updates for steve summers was i mean still one of the great thrills for me and um you know, kind of one of those things that you remember for a long time. I always think, you know, what it's like for what, for somebody like you're saying, you listen all the time, and then you walk in and you, you think it's going to be more glamorous probably than it looks mm-hmm. like, right? <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of work. I mean, it was it was nerve-wracking. Even to come in and to do the little mock demos um, for the bosses when you're first trying to apply for a job like that, you realize, like, it's, it's, it's a lot of work and it's nerve-wracking and there's a deadline involved. Um, you know, you, you can prepare for it and think about it when you're a college kid, you know, going to a place like Fordham. But when you're in there and you're, you know, in the, the major all sports radio station in New York, you realize that this is for real now and you have to really kind of gather your emotions and, and really perform. And it was, it was just a great learning experience for me at that stage of, uh, of my career, just a couple of months out of school. And you could have gone a, a couple of different ways. There's the play-by-play stuff, there's sports updates on radio, and then there's these the radio talk show host. Did you ever want to be, for a career, somebody at FAN who did a four-hour daily show? Well, it's funny. The one thing that, that all the, the pro guys who I would talk to and would come in and, and give us workshops when I was a college kid at Fordham, they all said, or most of them said, do as much as you can. You know, be a, a talk show guy if that's an opportunity that's out there. Uh, work behind the scenes. You know, don't be afraid to to get your hands dirty and learn the production side. Um, for me, I, I have to be honest. I, I I never wanted to do any of those things, and and I would just try to focus on the play by play as much as I could. You know, we we would have. Um, an opportunity to do play-by-play and be the color analyst for uh, Fordham basketball when we were students. We'd kind of divvy up the games and we'd rotate. And I would always give up my my nights to be the color analyst. I'd just kind of call on the other guys and say, hey, if you want this, um, you can do it. You know, I got something else going on. And that's kind of just how it went for me. I just I wanted, I knew I wanted to be play-by-play. I knew that's all I was really good at. I have so much respect for guys that can do the the talk shows that can host a show for five, six hours. Uh, but it just was never me. You know, I, I just love play by play. I love, you know, going to the game, announcing the game, the spontaneity of it. And, and that's pretty much it. You know, let's talk about it for a couple of minutes before and after, but, but that really for me is, is where I'm excited and what I'm passionate about. And, uh, and that's what I tried to focus on. I'm sure you've been checking out some of the great college basketball action this past weekend. We are down to the last four teams. Maybe you want to hear from the guys behind some of those great teams. You should check out guidinggreatness.com. It's an exclusive video series presented by Delta Airlines. It offers insight from some of the most successful NCAA college basketball coaches. Last week, I was checking a video out by Coach K over there at Duke. This week, They've got three more great videos. 
Greg Gard from Wisconsin, Patrick Chambers from Penn State, and Mark Fox from Georgia. We're tugging back the curtain to hear from the NCAA's most compelling leaders. These are guys who've seen it all, heard it all, and are now willing to share their experience with stories of leadership, consistency, pressure, heartbreak, victory, disappointment, drama, conflict, and glory. Check it out, guidinggreatness.com. Hear these coaches' thoughtful insights and passionate dedication to the game, the institution, the people, and the players. Greg Ward from Wisconsin, Patrick Chambers from Penn State, and Mark Fox from Georgia. Just go to guidinggreatness.com, and they're all right there for you. It's Al's Boring Podcast. Were you able to get any other play-by-play jobs while you were still in college, other than doing the Fordham stuff at the school? Uh, well, it wasn't a play-by-play job. It was the sideline reporting gig for the uh, for the XFL's uh, New York, New Jersey Hitmen, that um, one-year wonder of a league that um, actually started right around that time I was a senior. So I got the job my senior year to be the sideline guy, and those games were on WABC Radio at that point. And you can't even possibly imagine the excitement level when I got the call saying that I was going to be part of this broadcast because, you know, here I am going to class during the week and flying to Las Vegas for for the opening game of that league, which at that point, you know, even as crazy as it sounds now, it was kind of a big deal. You know, it was exciting. Was excitement level about it. People were wondering, you know, what what is this going to look like? And here's Vince McMahon, who's this genius of a business guy with all the wrestling stuff that he does. And so there was a lot of fanfare about it and and to be on that field in vegas for opening night you know during my senior year still being a, a college student at fordham you know knowing we're going to be on wabc radio i had my friends and family listening it was it was one of the biggest thrills for me at that point and um and yeah that was pretty much my first my first um job that i got and to have it while i was still in college was uh, was pretty awesome how does that even happen how do you know who to talk to who to apply to who you're competing against how does that how do you even make that happen well, for me, it, it all came down to, to John Cirillo, who, you know, a lot of people in New York who are in the business and the industry will know. John was the head of communications at Madison Square Garden for a number of years uh, during the 90s and during their their runs with, with Riles and, and Patrick Ewing and all those guys. And, and John would teach a class on the side at Fordham uh, called Sports Communication. And I befriended John, took his class. Um, at some point, he heard one of my uh, demo reels that um, that I'd done at, at FUV, and, and he basically said, look, I've got a Rolodex of people that I know in New York. I think you've got talent, and I think I can really help you. And, and John basically became my agent during during my college time at Fordham. You know, such a, a, a major advantage that I had at that stage. Uh, John started making calls for me, and and I'm sure a lot of people that he spoke to were probably wondering, well, you know, what's going on here? I mean, this kid's still at school, and and here's a guy who's who's an established person like John in the PR world and and broadcasting, making calls for him. And I think it just kind of gave me um, an added layer of credibility that you don't usually get, and that I probably didn't deserve. You know, just being a you know. A, a snot-nosed college kid at that point, and John is responsible for for doing all the the heavy lifting early on in my career. He got me the XFL gig. 
John got me in the door at FAN, you know, with his relationships with those guys, being with the Knicks for a number of years. John got me with the Lakers job a couple of years after college. And, uh, you know, I owe really so much of my career to, uh, to John Cirillo and what he did for me. So what did you, how did you get in? Uh, did you work at FAN in addition to the internship? Yeah, so the internship happened, um, and then a couple of months later, uh, after college, it just um, you know started becoming maybe a fill-in overnight um, update shift here and there, and that kind of blossomed, and and it was great. I mean, it got me exposure. It never it never quite became a full-time thing with FAN, but but the the exposure of that radio station is such that even appearing on it sporadically would, you know, get the attention of, of the right people that you need to be listened to uh, or listened by, I should say. And and that kind of gave me the exposure that I needed at that stage. Do, do, were there guys here at the radio station that took notice of your talent where you felt like they uh, were encouraging for you? Or did you feel like when you're doing those shifts, some of them on the overnight, that you kind of get lost in the shuffle here? Not at all. You know, not at all. Eric Spitz, Mark Chernoff, uh, were guys that were instrumental for me and giving me some good feedback at that stage. And and also the guys who would be in the car listening. Like I remember Bob Papa, who was a great voice on the radio of the New York Giants, um, calling in and and saying, boy, this kid Spiro is, is good. You know, he sounds good. And he could be the next guy out of Fordham that, that maybe has a chance to do some things. And, um, you know, everyone's listening to that station, as you know, especially at that that age was such a it was such a great year of sports talk radio and that in that market you know with with Mike and Chris and all the great shows that they had and you know just to be a part of that in some small minuscule way for me was everything I mean it just you know it just kind of accelerated the whole process for me because usually to get an opportunity like that you've got to you know go to one of these small towns for a number of years and kind of toil in, in the, the lesser markets before you get an opportunity so. You know, I appreciated it then. I, I appreciate it a hundred times more now that I've been in this business for, you know, now 15 years or so and, and seeing kind of the realities of what it's like for most guys. And did you sense jealousy from any of the the guys that were kind of veterans and here's this young kid coming up and, and people are loving what he sounds like and he's getting these other jobs? Did you ever get that from you people? Know, I, at that stage, Al, I didn't really notice it. I was so wrapped up in kind of what was happening and it was so overwhelming that I probably wasn't um, smart enough to realize that. I'm sure there was. I mean, if I was someone else who, you know, had taken 10 years to get to that point and then here comes this kid who's getting update shifts or some of these other great opportunities, yeah, I'm sure it's human nature and I, I don't, I wouldn't hold that against anyone. You know, I'd probably feel the same way. But uh, at that stage, no. Uh, later on, sure, you know, as, as things kind of settled around me, and I was more aware of of the business and how things were starting to work. I, I for sure sensed that. But at that stage, man, it was it was it was happiness. It was excitement. It was it was all the above. And really, that was all I was wrapped up in. So, how old were you when the Laker job came open? Uh, I applied for it at twenty five, um, and and it just kind of happened it was about a, a couple of month process but i was 25 when uh, when we applied for the lakers job yeah so how far in advance do you know that that job's coming open well i, I remember waking up one morning and picking up the new york daily news and reading a little blurb of a story that said that the la lakers are shuffling their broadcast booth and that the radio position was going to be open 
And I remember calling John Cirillo and saying, John, uh, the Lakers have an opening. Uh, I've got no shot at this job, but let's let's send my stuff out there just to get my name in the mix. And, and it can't hurt, you know. So that's what we did. We sent a demo tape of a game that I had done and didn't hear anything for, for weeks. I think even over a month went by. What game did and, you send them? You know, I had done at that point um, – a couple of games for the AFL for the uh, the New Jersey Gladiators. You know my my circuit of uh, of the XFL and the AFL and a a hoops game that I had done for Westwood One Radio. It was just happened to be a game that that they needed to fill in, and I, I filled in for them, and we sent a clip of that as well. And uh, and that was it. Didn't hear anything. You know, figured it would just sit on someone's desk and end up in the trash somewhere, and and that was it. And then what's that process? You get a phone call then? Or they called yeah, John yeah, Cirillo? Yeah. Uh, they called me directly, actually. Um, it was Don Martin, who is still the uh, GM of KLAC Radio, which at the point, at that time, was I think in their like, 25th or 26th straight year of being the Lakers' flagship station. And uh, Don kind of had this you know, really interesting kind of Midwestern accent. Um, and he said, you know, we, we really we listen to your tape. We think you sound real good. And we think you may be kind of the fit of the guy we're looking for. And we want you to come out to LA for an interview. And I remember hanging up the phone and literally it was like an out of body experience. I mean, it was, it was so surreal to hear that, you know, to hear Lakers and to hear LA. Uh, I had never been to LA at that point in my life. Um, and it was just such a, a shock and from that moment on, I was as emotionally invested into that thing as you could possibly imagine. You know, it got to the point where basically if I didn't get that job, I mean, I would have been, I would have been a wreck, you know, and, um, and that kind of was, was how the process started. And then how long of a process does it go for before they say, you're the guy, let's do this? Um, you know, that was probably in late May uh, that I got the call. I remember being out there for an interview within about 10 days later. And after the interview, it, it moved pretty quickly. It was about, you know, from the time Don called me to the time they offered me the job, it was probably about a month or so. And is it like great money for you or, or because they've got a young guy in there? Yeah, is it more or less than you think it's going to be? More. <laughs> it was. Way more. Yeah, it was way more. I mean, you know, obviously nothing compared to what, what the big time guys make now, but you know, for, for someone who's out of college just a couple of years, it was the biggest sum of money that, that I had seen and certainly that I'd ever come close to making. And yeah, it just, it just added a whole other layer of, um, of awe to that for me. It was, uh, it was, it was pretty cool. That had a shock people throughout the broadcasting industry that they would give it to a 25 year old kid who didn't have NBA experience. Yeah, you know, especially in L.A., because obviously no one knew who I was out there. And, you know, you have to also keep in mind that the Lakers had Chick Hearn for for so long. I mean, Chick was their radio uh, announcer and play-by-play guy for, for about four decades. And, you know, to go from him to a kid who's basically 25, 26 a couple of years later, I'm sure, you know, uh, was, was a shock for a lot of people out there. And, you know, it was it, it was something that um, that I was prepared for when I got there, and uh, made it really intimidating. But um, you know, this is what I tell people: the, the Lakers' job happened because I was in the right place at the right time. You know, they had Chick for a number of years. 
Um, then they brought in Paul Sunderland, who was a great, great announcer. Um, that didn't work out. Paul left. Uh, then Joe Myers comes in, becomes their radio announcer, move him to TV. And at that point, they, they decided that they wanted a young kid on the radio to build around and to maybe build a future with. And so, you know, there I was, right place at the right time, which had happened for me already a couple of times and kind of has been the theme of my career, you know, with, with all the luck that you need to get some of these jobs. So, you know, I knew if they were looking for a veteran guy that, that had experience and uh, credibility and, and accolades and all that, I would never have had a chance. But the fact that they decided to go young obviously was, was a perfect storm for me. And that first season with the Lakers, do they open on the road or at home? Uh, it was a road game in Denver. Um, so what was, that, Denver. what was that like walking into that arena? Like, that's your first yeah. job. Well, for, for me, it started just, just being on the airport. I mean, walking on the airplane. Because, you know, when you work for a team, you, you travel with them. You know, you're on the plane with them. You're at the hotels with them. You're on the bus with them. So walking on the airplane... And then seeing the players start to trickle on, you know, here comes Phil Jackson walking down the aisle. Um, here comes Kobe Bryant, you know, onto the plane, settling into the seat. I'm just like, where am I? What, right. is, what is happening right now? Um, it, it was so surreal. I can't. It, it's hard to describe, really, for someone who's kind of not who doesn't do this for a living and isn't into sports. It's kind of hard to understand what that feels like, but. You know, you, you you quickly have to kind of settle into your feel, into your thoughts and in your emotions because you gotta you know you gotta perform you gotta you gotta you have a job to do like everyone else. So, I mean, it was awesome. It was awesome. I tried to talk to everyone and ingratiate myself into the, the little traveling group that you're a part of. But man, it was it was a mixture of euphoria and excitement that that is hard to describe. And then that first time you you you're doing a home game had to be a whole nother level. Yeah. yeah, I mean, walking into Staples and, and just seeing the purple and gold of the court, I can remember. I mean, the place was like a, a fantasy land, you know, if you're a sports fan and watching the Lakers, obviously growing up as a kid and, you know, walking into the locker room and there's Kobe's jersey hanging in his locker. and You know, I, I knew everyone. I mean, I knew the trainers. I knew who Gary Vitti was before I even got the Lakers job. And, you know, of course, you know, that, that first game that was in Denver, of course, Kobe hits a 22-foot shot to win it uh, with like two seconds left in the game. And I'll never forget on the plane ride back to L.A. that night, um, you know, I'm just kind of settling in. The adrenaline rush is finally starting to subside. The plane's dark, so everyone's kind of falling asleep. And just as I was falling asleep, I could feel someone poke, poke me on my shoulder as I was sitting in the aisle. And I kind of look up, and it's Kobe standing right above me. And he looks down, and he's like, How'd your first game go? And I, I don't even know what I said. I like, stammered something out to him. And before I could even say it, he kind of just laughed and, and just kept walking. Didn't even wait to hear what I told him. And um, it just like adds to the whole experience of that first night. It was just, it was magical. Early on, did you ever feel like you were in over your head? Oh, my God, so many times, so many times. I can remember there was a guy who would sit at the upper deck at Staples going back to their days when they were at the Forum. And this guy was like a super fan, you know, one of the you know, the same type of guy who sits in the blue seats at the garden, the old garden. Yeah. And he would wait for me to finish the post game and would walk with me from our booth all the way to the parking lot. And all he would tell me was, you know, you're you're okay. I heard <laughs> you a couple times, you're okay. You're no you're not chick, you're never gonna be chick. 
but you know, keep doing your thing and you know, you, you, you'll do okay. You'll be okay. And I, I said, okay, you know, cool. That's, that's what I'm going to do. And that, that was my feeling with, with everyone out there because they had such a high standard because of how great chick was and how unique he was as an announcer. Um, and it was intimidating. It was kind of daunting, but I knew that if I just stayed true to who I was and my style, which I didn't really even know what it was at that point, but, um, just stay confident, keep working at it, that, that things were going to hopefully work out. Getting your team to the playoffs takes hard work, dedication, blood, sweat, and tears, and a lot of preparation. So when you need to get your team to a big game, leave the planning to busrental.com. They'll get you there with blood, sweat, and gears. See what I did there? Renting a bus or one of our many other vehicles is easier than ever. It's all online. Just go to busrental.com. Simply select your starting address and your destination and get an instant quote. That's it. Busrental.com is a U.S. Coachways company, so you know their vehicles and drivers are reputable and will always exceed your expectations. You can choose from a wide variety of motor coaches, party buses, and limousines to accommodate small groups or the entire team. Whether you need to get downtown or coast-to-coast, busrental.com will get you there safely and comfortably. Got a trip planned at the last minute? No worries. Busrental.com will get you there. To get on the road, get online. Busrental.com. A U.S. Coachways company. Save 5% using promo code CBSBUS. That's CBS. Bus and how it's far into that job podcast. did you feel like? Hey, I'm settled in here. This With is nice. I know what I'm doing. I'm comfortable every night. I, I don't have these jitters all the time. Yeah, you know, it took a while to be honest with you. Probably to my second or even third year, where I would start to hear positive feedback from the fans. You know, I can remember. You know, at that point, this was pre-Twitter and pre-social media. At that stage, we had the the message boards, and there were a ton of all these big, you know, purple and gold. Uh, Laker fan message boards where people would go on there and, and write about the announcers and oh this guy's terrible and this, who's this young kid he sounds like 15 he's terrible you know we we got to get the next guy in here and then right at the end of year two to year three was when all that stuff started to turn and you know I I just think it takes time when, when your fans and, and I was the same way growing up fans like the familiar voice, the guy that they're used to, you know, that, that trusty local announcer that knows the team and knows how they feel, knows the emotions of the local city. And that takes time to, to really nurture and, and to grow. And uh, for me, it took a long time, especially given the circumstances out there, again, with what they were used to with Chick and, and what have you. So when that started to turn, that's when I, for the first time, kind of exhaled a little bit, said, okay, this, you know, all the work and now is slowly starting to pay off. And man, it was such a good feeling to start to get support from people who would stop me in the arena or, you know, walking around town, like, well, you're doing great. You know, we love how you sound. Uh, there was, there was nothing better for me because that's, I mean, I was living and breathing that job at that point. You know, I had no family or friends in LA, you know, for me, it was just basically, you know, going to the games and then waiting for the next game to start, you know, with the prep and, and thinking of how things were going, you know, was I going to be accepted and all that. So when that started to turn, it was it was just a really great feeling. And is that a job that you think, I will sit here until I retire? Yeah, I mean, for sure. I mean, that's, 
I, I, I was so happy during that time with the Lakers. I mean, I, I was starting to get acclimated to living in Southern California, which was a whole other thing for me. Um, and I basically said, this is, this is where I'm going to be for the rest of my life. You know, I want to, um, settle out here. I hopefully get my family to come out and join me. And, uh, it was, it was great. It was, it was the happiest time of my life. It was awesome. And how long did you do that Laker job? That was six years, six years. So from 05 until 2011. So how does that, how does that come to an end? Do you get a different job? Do they want to move on? How does that end? Well, the Lakers at that point in 2011 were going to move me from radio to TV, which which was a whole other level of of excitement for me. And this was, you know, it was something that I'd kind of been told by my boss um, for about that whole last year that that kind of was was the succession plan. Um, and in the back of my mind, I knew that there was a potential issue with CBS because I'd started to do some part-time stuff for, for CBS, a couple of NFL games a year, a couple of uh, college basketball games. And in order to do that, I needed the Lakers to let me miss a couple of games, which they had been doing when I was doing the radio. But CBS now was going to start to give me some more games. And as part of this kind of uh, promotion, uh, if you will, the Lakers said, we will no longer allow you to miss games. We want you to be exclusive to us, and, and this is a commitment that we need. And so that started this whole process of, boy, you know, this is an unbelievable once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to be the TV voice of the Lakers. But I have to give up this other thing with CBS that I had just been trying to cultivate and, and grow into. And so I had my first real big decision to make in my career, what do I do? You know, do I, do I take this TV job with the Lakers, which would have been, you know, one of the great jobs and still is one of the great jobs in our industry, or do I, I walk away from it and, and maybe pursue something in New York. And right around that same time, as fate would have it, uh, I found out that the Knicks were looking for a radio announcer. And, um, you know, so we, we just started talking to my agent at that point and, and trying to figure out what to do. And that was your team as a kid, the Knicks. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my team as a kid. I mean, my first, my when I first dreamed of being a, a, a broadcaster, it was it was working for the Knicks and, and being in that booth, you know, next to where Marv Albert had worked for a number of years. So, you know, it, it was a really exciting time. It was an amazing kind of situation to be in with these two bookend NBA franchises. But it was it was really agonizing for me at that point because I really loved LA. You know, I'd, I'd come to know all the people there with the team and even the owner, Dr. Buss, I'd kind of gotten to know a little bit and the fans were, were supporting me and that had taken a while. So I really appreciated that. But I knew in order to take that next step in my career, I'd have to make a really tough decision at that point. And I'm not sure to be honest with you, emotionally, I was ready for that uh, to make that kind of a call. Um, but I just kind of closed my eyes, gripped my teeth, and, and made the best decision I thought at the time. I'm a guy like I always have regrets. When people say, "Oh, I have no regrets," did you regret yeah. that? Did you regret that move ever along the way? That when you first uh, switched, you know, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I, there, there are times where I think about it, think about it a lot. Uh, there are times where I, where I do regret it, where I said, "Boy, you know, man, maybe I should have stayed." You know, we were building something there that could have been really, really special. Um, 
But there are other days where I, I really feel like I made the best decision and a decision that I had to make in my career. You know, just like the Lakers were telling me at that time, you know, we're, we're basically, this is what we feel we need to do for us. We want our TV announcer to to value this job, and we're, we're, we're protecting our brand. And I, and I totally got that. But, you know, on the flip side, I felt like I needed to do what was best for me. And it, it would at that point, I was 31, 32 years old. To walk away from even what wasn't a, a part-time network job at a place like CBS doing regional games on the NFL, I just I, I didn't feel like I can do that, and and that's kind of how I made the decision. You know, will I be able to live with myself if I walk away from this opportunity to see what could happen with a place like CBS and you know a place like New York, and you know, I was moving back home and my family and my mother was you know begging me to come back at that point. So you know, it was just kind of a lot of factors to to take in and uh yeah the hardest decision i've ever made you know in terms of my career and hopefully a decision that i'll never have to make again do you think you got that uh laker job like you were super young to even get that in the first place that that um things and maybe your thinking would be different if you had gotten that job maybe when you were 35 versus you know 25 i mean you're a kid yeah, yeah, I, I, it's a great question. I, I think for I think there's there's a good chance I would have maybe made a different decision if I was older, because I, you know being in this business, you see so much. You're, you you not only you see what happens with you, but you see what happens to your friends. You know, you see uh, how employers make decisions and and career longevity. And you know, I, I can't say that I, I didn't appreciate what I had at that point because I, I certainly did. But you know, it's like anything else. The, the more you go, the more you see. You you have a deeper sense of of things as as you get older, and you have all your experiences to draw on. I just didn't have experiences at that point. You know, I was just a couple of years out of college. You know, what did I know? Right. Um, now things, you know, who knows? It probably would have been different if, if that was a decision I had to make. You know, at this stage, uh, or or a couple of years from now. And when you got the job with the Knicks, that was you know the team you rooted for when you were a kid. Was was that job everything you imagined it? would have been when you were a kid or or is it different when you actually take a job like that it's not the dream job that you think it is well you know it, for me it was, it was the getting the job initially was was euphoric i mean you know, walking into the garden and, and everything that you dream of when you're you know a, a college student and a broadcast aspiring student at that stage for sure i mean that was incredible uh, for me, it, obviously, there was a couple other factors that that played in and kind of stained the experience. And and you know, for me, it was it was my doing. Uh, well, first of all, we had the lockout at that point, which kind of made it interesting in and of itself. The season was pushed back; wasn't going to start till around Christmas. Uh, so that kind of made it different. But also for me, I, I had the um, unfortunate experience of getting a DUI a couple of uh, a couple of days before my uh, my contract was actually signed. So that started like a whole nerve wracking process and kind of got me off on the wrong foot with, with my bosses over there. And, um, you know, something that I, I think we kind of got over as time went on, but you know, it just kind of sucks. You get hired by these new people who've given you this great opportunity and you make just a, a bad first impression like that. It takes some time to, uh, to kind of get over and recover from. Yeah. You had a, uh, you had a, did you think at times that, was there a long period of time between, the DUI and them saying you're safe, everything's good. Like what, that had to be like the worst time. Oh, it was terrible. It was terrible. Every I, day, know, just thinking. 
Yeah, there was, you know, Mark Furman, who is the uh, Knicks beat writer of the Post, wrote something that, you know, Adidas's contract with MSG is in limbo and, and, and this and that. So, you know, there was a couple of days where I, it was a little uh, nervous uh, thinking of kind of what was going to happen. But they said, look, this this is not going to void your contract. We're, we're okay. We'll get through it. And and they were great about it. You know, they, they gave me a second chance, and, and I tried to kind of make the most, most of it. But this, you know, this all happened right around 4th of July weekend. So, you know, we had we had a number of months to, to meet and, you know, get on the same page and, and make sure everything was okay by the time that first game was played. And how were you received as the Knicks play-by-play guy? Did the fans... Uh... Yeah, you know, it, it, was, it, was, it was good. I mean, it, it didn't take long, as long as it did in L.A. You know, here I think... You know, not that I was like a household name by any stretch, but people knew at that stage that, you know, here was a guy that had worked for the Lakers and, you know, had had some experience of, of holding some some decent, you know, frontline jobs around the NBA and around the industry and doing some NFL games for CBS. So I think it helped me in, in the initial stages. And, you know, being around Mike Breen and, and Clyde and, and uh, the production guys that MSG had, you know, with, um, with Howie and Spencer and, and such a great crew that they have, you know, it just kind of helped that, you know, that initial adaptation phase that you get when you're hired by a team or a network to really kind of ingratiate yourself. So uh, it, it was great. You know, it was great. Once, once I got over that initial hiccup, you know, things really started to progress and, uh, and I was happy, you know, it was, it, it, I'm, I'm, I'd be lying if I said I had kind of gotten over the Lakers thing because that was still in the back of my mind. You know, did I make the right decision? And there was kind of that those moments of self-doubt that you have. But I just tried to, like everything else, every other job that I had, just kind of pour myself into it and, and not really worry about that other stuff that was behind me at that stage. So uh, it was it was a mixture, again, of, of just excitement and, you know, apprehension and moving back home and being close to my family again, which was wonderful. Um, so it was, uh, it was a, a very interesting time, to say the least. And how long did you do that one for? Uh, three years, three years at the Garden, uh, from 2011 to 14. And then, how did that come to an end? Well, we we had basically come to the end of my uh, my first contract, which was a three year deal, and and kind of the same deal. You know, CBS at that stage was still part time, um, more so than I was getting when I was with the Lakers, and they basically told me we're ready to move you now to a full time NFL schedule and. As part of my Knicks deal, they would let me miss, I think, I, maybe around seven to eight games a year um, to go do CBS. And now CBS is telling me, all right, we've got a full NFL schedule for you. And in order to do this, I would need to miss a number of more Knicks games. Uh, I knew that the Knicks, as part of their deal, they would allow me to miss games unless it was on a night that Mike Green was, was leaving to go do ESPN. You know, those were the nights that I had to be on the TV side, and I was not allowed to miss those contractually. So we kind of basically came to a fork in the road. You know, I knew that it was either going to be Knicks giving up CBS, or I'm going to go the CBS route and then see what else I can do to fill up my schedule. And, uh, you know, it was just basically a fork in the road and kind of a mutual parting of the ways at that point. And what do you like? Uh, you like uh, the NFL better than NBA at this point, or you like both of them? You know, I like both. Um, I, I know mo- for most guys it's different. Uh, for me, the NFL is is, is more challenging um, just because football, I mean, the, the sheer number of players and, and the, the research involved is just, 
is that much greater because there's so many more moving parts and, and being in a booth on Sundays is, is both exhilarating and the most challenging thing that I've ever done in this business. Basketball for me came a little bit more natural, you know, the speed of the game, the cadence of the game, basketball was the first sport I played growing up. And for whatever reason, it just was more natural for me to call. You know, that was, I don't want to say it was easier, but, um, it didn't pose the, the challenges that football has, has posed for me and, and posed for me kind of early on when I first started doing the NFL. Uh, with the NBA, though, you're on the road constantly, right? You're, you're yeah. a nomad. Well, the, the travel, I mean, the travel is unbelievable. You know, it, granted, you, you're, you're on the team playing and you're not really going through major commercial airport um, terminals. But you're on the road a lot. I mean, you're, you're, you're on the road for these long trips a couple times a year, you know, 14, 15 days. Um, you know, you're, you're missing most of the major holidays, especially when you're playing for a team like the Lakers and the Knicks. You know, they're playing on Christmas and Thanksgiving and New Year's Day. So you're missing all the, the important family holidays and birthdays and all that stuff. Um, and, you know, not having done that now for the last two years, after I'd been in the league for nine, ten years of doing a full NBA schedule, I mean, what a difference. <laughs> you forget what it's like to kind of have a normal travel schedule. And that, that was the biggest difference for me. Once I left the Knicks and now doing, you know, primarily the NFL and, and one college basketball game a week, the difference in the travel has been, has been great. And, you know, I miss the NBA for sure. I hope I, I get a chance to get back in at some point in some capacity, but I really kind of enjoyed settling into maybe not a normal schedule per se, because it's still not normal for, for most people who work nine to five jobs, but you know, something more of a, a semblance of a regular, of a regular life and being home. When you're a young guy in his mid twenties, uh, traveling with the Lakers and those guys are probably in their mid twenties. Do you get friendly with the players? Do they not like you to be friendly with the players or do the players not like to be around media guys? You know, it's, it's funny that there's no, unfortunately there's no handbook that they hand yeah. you when you're a, a broadcast student of, of how to handle certain things. And I, I did befriend some of the guys on the Lakers, like Sasha Vujicic, who actually ironically is not playing for the Knicks, um, was a guy who was right around the same age as me when we were uh, with the Lakers in 2005, lived kind of close to each other in the same part of LA. So we kind of became friendly, um, but the one thing I learned as time would go on was that because of the job we have to do and the nature of that, it, it was best not to get close to the players because no matter what they say, they have family, they have friends that are listening to the games. And if you say something that could be perceived as critical, you know, that, that could become like a potential um, issue for you as an announcer. So I, you know, of course I was nice to everyone. I would talk, you know, you make small talk on the plane and, and those kinds of things, but really getting close to them was not something that I really wanted to pursue. I mean, as cool as it would have been to say, boy, I'm, I'm hanging out with all these NBA guys, we're buddy, buddy, and we're close friends. I knew that for me, <clears throat> in order for me to do the job the way I needed to do it, um, I, I couldn't really get close to them. And, uh, you know, the, the announcers that I grew up respecting as a kid were the guys that were not apologists for the team that they worked for you know like to me mike breen is always the classic example of a guy who works for an nba team like the knicks but is critical when he needs to be obviously in a, in a way that he's backing up with facts um and just the guy who finds that that light that line you know where he's going to be hard on a team to a point 
but he's also going to be fair. And, and Mike was always the master of that. And someone I try to kind of pattern myself after. And uh, who are you working with, uh, with CBS in the NFL these days? Who's your partner? Solomon Wilcots, who uh, is one of the most cerebral analysts that I've ever worked with any sport. Uh, ex-player, played in the NFL for a number of years, was, uh, was a solid defense back in his career. And you know, he's a guy that really had to earn everything he had as a player. And that um, ended up translating into his, his job as an announcer. Hardest working guy I've ever been around. The guy preps uh, just an incredible um, work ethic he has and is just fantastic to work with on the air. And how far in advance, like during the NFL season, do you know when what game is your next game? Well, my first couple of years, um, they would give us our schedule basically in, in three-week increments. So we would come together in August for our, our NFL announcer seminar where all the announcers fly into New York, and it's kind of a, a two-day um, thing of meetings and uh, and what have you, and they would give us uh, schedules one through three at that point. Um, then when you got to around week two, they would the bosses would get in a room in New York, see kind of what's happening with the teams, and then they would sit and assign the announcers to the best game of that week. Like Nance and Sims, obviously, would get the big game, which usually was Indianapolis or New England or Denver, and and then kind of go down the list. So. Now what they've done, um, starting this past year, they would give us weeks one through eight at the seminar in August. And then, you know, from week seven on, they would give us, you know, one week in advance, two weeks in advance. They send you out a mass email where you can see all the announcers and where everyone's going. And, and that kind of is how it works. Last question for you. You've been all you're traveling all over the country in the different play-by-play jobs you had. What's a, give us a city or two that everyone should visit. You know, people in New York that are listening to this, uh, I would highly, highly recommend going to the Pacific Northwest. You know, it's it's one of the most underrated parts of the country. Seattle and, and Portland, two cities that I had a chance to go to, you know, being in the NBA for a number of years. And <clears throat> it is, it really is such a unique place. I mean, Seattle, you hear about all the rain and, and the bad weather and, you know, no sun, but it is... It's so lush and so green. You know, you see the snow-capped mountains. You know, you've got the water, obviously. Uh, you know, the, the, the Pike's Fish Market, which is such a famous stop amongst tourists. But it's also just kind of a way of life. You know, people are just different out on the West Coast, and, and especially that part in the Pacific Northwest. Nice people. Um, and it was, it was just really cool. One of the, the perks of the job, you know, being that young and being able to travel to these cities that I otherwise would have never gone to, um, it was just really cool. And then Seattle and Oregon were always two cities that I would look forward to uh, to going as a kid and, and as, as a young announcer with, with the Lakers. Perfect. See, that's a, a place I would never think to go. Yeah, I absolutely would put that on your list for sure. Spiro, I would like to thank you for coming on the podcast. We will look for you at the NFL on CBS in the fall. I appreciate your time, sir. Thanks, Al. This was fun. I appreciate it. Thanks. See you.